horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mounts, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you with us and always happy to be working with Eric Ryder. He's our producer and the guy who, as I put it, likes to help us stay in our lane, and he certainly does that very well. Today, we're going to have visit number, I don't know, I stopped counting. Erica Nelson is going to be in the house. So glad to have Erica with us. Today, we are going to talk about some magnificent work that she is in the midst of having completed one thing, moving on to another, because that's her way. And in the Midwest, in Kansas particularly, but she has knowledge about wonderful murals, murals of the Midwest. One of them, and this is her beautiful inspiration, I like to call the art of suffrage. She probably has an official name for it, but it celebrates women's suffrage. She has completed that project. It is gorgeous, and you're going to hear all about it in the theater of the mind that is radio and podcast on the other side of this short break. Erica Nelson is with us. Yes, this is American Road Trip Talk, and we'll have the interview right after this. Room to breathe, new mountains to explore, tucked away hot springs to discover. It's all waiting for you in Carbon County, Wyoming. Embark on a new Rocky Mountain adventure in the Old West. With recreation, relaxation, and room to roam, Carbon County, Wyoming offers a respite from routine as well as a reinvigoration of the spirit. Find all the ways to get your West on at wyomingcarboncounty.com, plus lodging, events, and safe travel tips. Carbon County, Wyoming, get your West on. Chart your course to visit Alliance, Nebraska. Fun, safe, family-friendly, and pet-friendly activities make Alliance one adventure you and your family don't want to miss. Come for Carhenge and stay to experience our many other free attractions, craft brews, and local dining. Yes, all of the attractions are free. Shop along our historic brick streets, too. Carhenge is a 2020 Top 10 Worldwide Award winner by TripAdvisor. Unique quirky, and a pop culture icon. Carhenge is open year-round to visitors who love to experience something different. You won't find a to-scale replica of England's Stonehenge quite like this anywhere else in the world. Our little slice of country is your place to relax before you head to the hills or mountains with all of the small-town charm your soul needs. For more information, please go to visitalliance.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. 
Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. Erica Nelson is an artist, educator, a creative adult at work, and without doubt, one of America's foremost experts on the world's largest things. She also happens to be a department editor for American Road Magazine. Visiting communities with her own unique traveling museum, which acquired a permanent base back in 2017, Erica is in demand as a consultant to cities seeking to create their own world's largest thing or roadside attraction to increase tourism, marketing, and economic development. When not on the road, Erica and the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things, Van, can be found in Lucas, Kansas. Right now, she's found on Trip Talk. Hello once again, Erica. Hello again, Gary. Always good to sit and chat with you for a bit because as you know from my Facebook feed, I don't sit down much. (laughs) No, you do not. You are a busy lady. In fact, you are a creative adult at work, essentially so. And this is by way of acknowledgement and praise from the folks at McSweeney's. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, yeah. They've been a publisher of odd and esoteric works for a long, long time. Uh, When they transitioned over into digital, a lot of people think of them as a humor site, but it's also backed up by a lot of interesting minds. And it had always been a goal of mine to make it. And really make it, to me, means being published in McSweeney's publication. And they finally figured out that I would be a fit for one of their issues, uh, their latest issue of Illustoria, which is an illustrator's magazine for children, uh, is about all of the big and all of the small. And it's a special edition where if you read it one way, uh, it's all about the big stuff. But if you flip it over and read it the other way, it's all about the smalls. So yes, it was a perfect fit. So finally achieved one of those lifetime goals. Congratulations. Oh, I think that's wonderful, Erica. Good on you. And you have accomplished something that is drawing eyes from around the Midwest art world and beyond, particularly because you're kind enough to post pictures of your work on Facebook. And that is something that I call the art of suffrage, though you might call it by another name. This is some intensely beautiful work that you're doing in the fashion of murals. Please tell us about that. Oh, yeah. I just wrapped up a project that uh, is celebrating the centennial of the women's suffrage movement in the United States. And the 100th was actually in 2020. But as all of us know, 2020 was a little bit of a roller coaster. So this mural didn't get fully underway until this year. But uh, the suffrage movement gave the right to vote to uh, non-landed mostly white females, so it still wasn't universal suffrage, but it was at least a step on the way there. And I was commissioned by the Centennial Suffrage Committee and the Mid-America Arts Alliance to produce a mural in some town in Kansas that had a suffrage connection. So I asked a bunch of um, towns to talk to me about why they should host the Mid-America Arts Alliance suffrage mural. 
and I had about eight applications. I narrowed it down to four and did some site visits. And the bid went to Norton, Kansas, because they had one of the very first legislators, female legislators, elected uh, to the Kansas legislature after suffrage passed. So half of the mural is about the suffrage movement that led up to this momentous local event. And the other half of the mural is about Ida Walker. And she was, the, again, a early Kansas legislator that was a direct result of the suffrage movement giving that voice to uh, to more Americans than it ever had a voice before. I remember in one of the panels there, you're showing suffragettes in front of, they seem to be picketing or protesting, certainly making their cause known before the White House. Yeah, the very first picketing of the White House was during the suffrage movement. Nobody else had ever thought to do that, but these brave women uh, were out there in in the dead of winter in their long dresses, in their purple, white, and gold sashes with banners. And I'm not meaning little tiny banners, these impolite banners. They were beautiful, large, gorgeous, flapping things that would catch your eye with just one or two messages directly to President Wilson asking for uh, equal representation. And some of the images of those first protests are just so beautiful and so powerful because it really set the tone for um, how the voiceless demand to be heard. And when they were heard, it's so interesting to me to note that the first state, and it makes a great Trivial Pursuit question, by the way, <laughs> but the first state to grant women the right to vote was, in fact, Wyoming. Yeah, and it was in the 1800s. So the Western states were really, really on top of it because the Western states didn't have a whole lot of population. So the work really was equal. Women very early on in the West were the pioneers, too. And everybody recognized that without them, you weren't getting anything done. So it was easier to grant equality when half of the people building your town were women. It makes sense, doesn't it? In terms yeah, of the and mural, and, I, and thank goodness for that, you know, uh, never thought of Wyoming in that sense as being a trendsetter, but there they were. And it does, it's logical. They, when you don't have enough people and you want to get stuff done, they turn to the ladies, thank you women. And it went from there. In terms of your mural that honors the suffrage movement and the, the heroes, the heroines of the suffrage movement, please tell us about the tools of the mural trade. That fascinates me. I couldn't make one to save my life. Yours are beautiful. What are the essentials if you're going to take on such a task, which many times we're talking about takes up a whole wall? Yeah, it, I mean, a mural can be a small one, but this one that we're talking about is the largest figure is 14 feet tall, and the mural extends 65 feet along a, a wall in a commercial district. And normally, I would design a mural 
and then wait for a nice evening and set up a projector and project those outlines. But in this case, I didn't get that option. It was in a little bit too lit of an area and I couldn't really get far enough away to project. So I went back to old school sign painting techniques and old school enlargement techniques of you draw it out, you draw a grid and you draw a larger grid on the wall and go from there. So um, you need you need a design, you need a way to enlarge that design, you need a way to get to the wall. So I had a very generous donation of a genie lift from the building owner. And then you need the proper paints. Um, some people use aerosol products. There's a lot of lines of aerosol products for mural work. Um, I'm a brush artist because my I feel like my fingers would fall off if I was doing aerosol art. Um, so I choose to use Nova Color, uh, which is a series of paint that's designed specifically for outside murals. And then you just need to be able to keep that big vision in your head while you're up close and working on it. So it's a series of images every day when I start and stop. And when I go home, I'm a little bit more removed and I can see what I need to do that next day. This is the artist's mind, the artist's temperament, which uh, in which I do not participate because uh, the good Lord above decided that I didn't need to have artistic talent. <laughs> the world could get along without my artistic output. That's probably a blessing in itself. There, and yet here you are ready to scope it out. You have your materials, you plan your work and work your plan. In doing so, Erica, and I think you need to get some extra credit for this, you were undertaking this in some blazing, intense Kansas heat. Yeah, and normally April, May isn't our hottest set of months, April, May, June. Um, but we normally get up to 95-ish by June and it, we usually don't hit the hundreds until July and August but yeah, this time it really sort of snuck up there quickly. We all experienced a heat wave across the country uh, and Kansas wasn't spared. So I had a wall luckily that was in shade from noon onwards but even on the shady day there are some days where it's just too hot to paint and the paint will dry from your paint bucket to the wall in that amount of time. So oh, wow. once oh, it wow. gets over 100 degrees, um, I either took it slow or did something simple that that I could do with a fried brain. <laughs> and the result is magnificent. Now you find yourself already beginning another project. What is happening with your work now? So right now I am revisiting an old mural uh, it was painted in probably 2010, but it was on a building that suddenly became um, unoccupied. And there's some damage that happens to murals once a building becomes unoccupied and there's no mitigation of moisture from the inside. Uh, that building was redone into a community center for my hometown of Lucas. And in that process, they sort of power washed all of the loose stuff. And so now that I've returned from the suffrage mural, I am back in my hometown and I'm starting the process of chipping off the rest of the bad paint on that mural and making a better surface. And I'll get to restore that one back to its former glory. And I'm sure you'll succeed beautifully. I'd like to go back for a moment, Erica, because this is something that we talked about in a previous visit on this show. 
And I've been there, you've been there, we've done the tour. And of course, you're going to have the kind of artistic sensitivity that would give you a much deeper appreciation than, than I, a mere tourist, could manage. And so I'm curious enough to ask, when we talk about the Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota, how would you classify those murals? Are they of a certain type? Because the Corn Palace itself prides itself on uniqueness, but how do murals factor into what they do and the changing appearance? Because it's almost like you can't see, unless you're just right there repeatedly, uh, with different visits to Mitchell, South Dakota, you see something different each time in the Corn Palace. Yeah, and that's, I mean, nature, the nature of murals is temporary. And when you're doing a mural out of corn, it is super temporary. So I would absolutely still consider those murals because they are outdoor uh, pictorials made up of pigments. It's just that the pigments there are natural pigments that are contained in kernels of corn. Um, some murals are reflections of community. So I usually do community-based murals where I go to a town, ask a lot of questions and compile that info into a new image. Some are commercial. So sometimes they are um, something that is designed to increase tourism, but not necessarily reflective of the community. Uh, but the Corn Palace is in a very special situation in that it's a unique material it is in a community that has built itself up around this celebration of grain and agrarian culture. And now graphic design students are the ones in charge of designing those murals. So those design students need to think about all of that. Is a tourist going to know what that image is? Is a local going to know what that image is? And where is that line drawn between um, what the mural needs to do and what you're able to design? So that one's a fascinating one because sometimes they are sort of throwaway, simple, oh, celebrating South Dakota history. Sometimes they're much more involved in their social commentary. So that one, especially because it changes so much, is a great example of all of the different ways a mural can communicate depending on who the artist is. And of course, in that part of South Dakota, there, there are miles and miles of miles and miles. And I look at it and I think, wow, I really need to stop here. And there are other attractions in Mitchell, South Dakota, but that is what draws the eye and draws the crowd. So that whether you're there headed elsewhere, you're coming through from the other side, I recommend that everyone stop and enjoy, allow enough time to really appreciate the artistic beauty of the Corn Palace. So there's another ad for the Corn Palace and the good folks of Mitchell, South Dakota. But Erica, you are aware of other memorable murals of the Midwest. And there's one of them. Now, of course, you know, you can define the Midwest variously. But in particular, when we were talking about having you on this episode, you indicated to me that there's something pretty fascinating in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. Um, and well, before we leave South Dakota, I didn't realize we were we were diverting up there, but I'm going to request a pit stop in Rapid City. OK, uh, it has some great tourist attractions, too, but they have a graffiti alley. So when we're talking about murals, I talked about aerosol art a little bit. Graffiti alleys are a special subset of murals that are designated alleys where graffiti is OK and people go absolutely 
wonderfully nuts. And Rapid City, South Dakota is home to just such a, a graffiti alley. I finally got to visit that one. It's, it's great. Um, so, all right, back in the car, going to Arkansas. <laughs> Fort Smith, Arkansas, um, really embraced what murals could do. Because, as you said, you, you drive by and you see them and you are drawn to them, especially when they're unexpected. So Fort Smith decided to have a whole mural movement uh, starting in 2005, and they've done over 40 murals on what used to be some abandoned buildings, and now they invite artists from all over to do spectacular large-scale, and some of them relate to history, some are just pop culture and fun, some of them take complete abandoned gas stations and cover absolutely every inch. The pavement, the roof, the walls, the uh, the signage cover all of that in bright geometric designs. So when one mural will make you stop, when a town embraces a whole mural movement, it means that you've got this wonderful uh, like flower bed full of civic art to to explore. That would be a reason to be in Arkansas and to stop if you are headed somewhere else. Is there something going on that's of particular note in Fayetteville? Yeah, um, so jumping off of Fort Smith, Fayetteville started a mural movement too. And so they've renamed that festival or their town for that festival, Sprayetteville. So they too uh, invite a bunch of artists in and they'll create eight murals in one week. And the tension builds as the walls are selected and the artists arrive, and it ends up being a different kind of festival that really shows not just the art, but how the artists work and the transformation of space that can happen in such a small period of time. And when it comes to the various ways that, that one can apply artistic talent and all the materials, all the substances to a wall. What is the culture in your view, Erica, and the attitude really? What is the attitude toward not just the muralists, but also the taggers who, you know, if you hear the stories of New York City, a place where I have never been and intend to go before I die, when you look at New York City or you look at LA, and you hear about tagger culture, some of those artists have brilliant representations of their own talent, and some people consider them a nuisance, whereas others look upon their work with awe. Well, and there that's sort of a crossover too. So a lot of people who've grown up in graffiti culture are now part of some of these mural movements where cities will fly them in once their tags get known, and, and give them a wall. So they've moved from this sort of unsanctioned portfolio building into this commercially accepted thing. So I've always loved watching trains go by, especially if they are heavily graffitied, uh, mostly because it's this rolling um, gallery of art and influence that you know isn't from your place, is just traveling through, but showcases talent from from just everywhere. And I think that the giving of permission for murals kind of also shows where the influence is. And murals can also be used as um, art washing. So it could be a tool of gentrification. So I think 
graffiti art is important to make sure that that you still have an ownership of your own community. And I think if you start feeling that slip away, you'll get this increase in graffiti saying, no, man, I live here. This is where I want to see marks and this is how I want to mark them. So that sort of um, the culture of graffiti has changed in recognition, but it's also changed in knowing how to graffiti well. Um, some people do only stick to graffiti alleys. If you are graffitiing trains, they often will leave the um, identification numbers areas alone so that the train can still go through all of its commercial processes without losing its official information and that artwork can stay longer because the graffiti artist has chosen not to cover up the information that the train needs to uh, document each car. So it's a, it's a push-pull and I think all of them are valid. I tend more towards uh, enjoying the graffiti art than, um, than developer-sponsored murals. But I also know that some of the large-scale ones don't happen without the backing of uh, travel and tourism dollars or somebody trying to uh, bring a town back from the brink. Can you imagine a time? I hope it never happens. And if it's happening now, boo-hoo. But can you imagine people at some point, the aficionados of graffiti art saying, you know, I really like graffiti until it went commercial. <laughs> no, I think that happens now. I'm sure some of the uh, graffiti artists who have transitioned into muralists that will fly anywhere, I'm sure they get some some crap from their from their buddies who maybe are still only doing trains and only doing it anonymously. <laughs> you sold out, man. <laughs> oh, and that's man. the art world. That is the art world in a nutshell. And the rest of the world, too. Politics will invade and intervene, that's for sure. Well, in your artistic purity, and always with a welcome from the crew here at American Road Trip Talk, thank you, Erica Nelson. You have graced us once again, and I can't wait to find out what we'll talk about next. Always fun to be here, and thank you so much for letting me talk about um, paint on walls. Erica Nelson, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi everybody, this is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.